Okay. Hope. Absolute necessity for life. Hope brings us into a place of anticipation. Hope drives us. It gets us up in the morning. It tells us that whatever it is we're giving ourselves to, it's worth doing. Had an interesting opportunity. If you just, even just in reading it, it's interesting to read it. Interesting opportunity to see somebody's hope fulfilled in this past week. David Ortiz, who plays for the Boston Red Sox, uh, had been approaching 500 home runs when my man Ernie Banks hit 500 home runs for the Cubs. Yeah, I just slid that in there. When he hit it for them, he was only the seventh guy in the history of baseball to have done it. By now, there's, I think, over a dozen. But anticipating hitting that 500th home run, and yesterday he had his 50th multiple home run of, of his career. He hit two home runs. He hit 499 and 500. Everybody's excited because this hope has been fulfilled. Everybody was anticipating, building up to this. All those Red Sox fans, they're cheering this thing on. How mad Magnificent when that hope is fulfilled. But sometimes our hopes aren't fulfilled because there was an even bigger thing unfolding on the sports scene this past week. As Serena and Venus Williams played against each other, with everybody paying attention to it, knowing that Serena Williams had the chance of setting, of tying some records, uh, just, just putting a huge huge final exclamation point on, on her career and on this season by winning the season Grand Slam and winning all four majors. And what was considered the big hump for her to get over was to defeat her sister in the quarterfinals because she was highly favored in the semifinals and has not lost this tournament in like five years. So it was like, yeah, she's just got to get past her sister Venus, which she does. And it looks like it's a walk to the championship. And all of our hope is here. We're watching history unfold. We're excited. In fact, she, though, that couple playing on Tuesday night had a li- larger viewership than I think it was the Yankees and some other well-known team combined. First time ever I have just turned on to watch. Well, I guess it was the second time because I'd watched her before. But it's like, i got to see this match and see what happens here. And I don't follow tennis, but it was just huge what was happening. All this hope and excitement being engendered. And so she wins. So now she's into the semifinals against this person she's clearly favored to beat. And she loses. She loses to some unknown Italian. Now, the Italian's known in Italy. Okay, I understand that. But to us here in America, it's just some unknown Italian in the world of tennis. It's like, what? Our Serena lost to somebody nobody knows? Not only that, as that Italian went into the finals with some other unknown Italian, unknown Italian number two, our, the one who beat Serena, Italian unknown Italian number one, loses to unknown Italian number two. Doesn't even go on to win the thing. So what was the point of that? And to make matters worse, unknown Italian two Wins this, might, I don't know if it was her first major, okay? She wins. What does she announce after winning? She's retiring. <laughs> what? <laughs> Seriously. 
seriously? Are you kidding me? The build-up, the hope, the anticipation, it motivated me to watch the television, and it motivated me to be looking for scores to go on the MSN sports line and find out what is happening here. This is amazing to have her lose to somebody who lost to somebody who then went, I think I'll retire now. This is not so historical after all. It was, you know, really disappointing. The people of Thessalonica were dealing with a sense of disappointment. It's like hope had gone out. They weren't quite getting this thing that Paul had told them. You see, we don't have time to look at it, but if you went to the book of Acts chapter 17, if you go there, you're going to find out that when Paul came, his time in Thessalonica was somewhat limited. It was somewhat limited because people kept running him out of town. And not only did they run him out of Thessalonica, when they learned that he went to the next town and he was preaching again, they um, ran him out of that town. His time was limited, but he got enough time to be sharing Christ, and there were those who did respond. The book of Acts tells us very clearly. You can read it for yourself this afternoon, Acts chapter 17. You can read what went on there. But he didn't have a prolonged time to lay out in detail all of the things which he had taught them. And clearly, as the vacuum of the Apostle Paul leaves, nothing likes a vacuum, something comes in behind him, and the ones coming in behind him begin to teach things that are confusing and discouraging and upsetting to the Thessalonians. And we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and, and I believe this is the context for both, for both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, that Paul is writing to them to kind of clear up some of these things that, uh, that, that he had not been able to get across to them. He says, Now, brethren, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So they're dealing, wrestling with these questions of eschatology, the end times. He's saying, now don't be discouraged by what you've been told is by, by people who come and talk to you, or they have a letter that they claim comes from me. He says, forget all of that. Don't be discouraged. And he's writing to uplift them. He's writing in these two letters to bring encouragement to them to, to put, put at rest the false teachers who were there and creating conflict for the Thessalonian people. So with that as our context as to why we're coming back to 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to ask if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one in the pew in front of you because we're going to be using the the projector for a different purpose again this morning. Don't have verses on the screen. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we read this. But I do not want you to be ignorant, ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ 
will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. His reference to sleep there, as you can note it from other places in the New Testament, as you can note it particularly in John chapter 11, he's not talking about people taking a snooze, okay? It's not about Steve Levin over here just nodding off as I speak, you know. He's not nodding off, no, no. No, it, it's not about that. It's about people who have, from our perspective, from the, what we see on, on our earthly existence, people who have experienced death. And it's what we would call a euphemism for, for death. So he says, I don't want you to be concerned about them, uh, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Can I, can I make this statement? This is just one of those places that if we're going to be honest, we have to understand, and if the Bible is our standard by which we measure things, we have to understand clearly that the Bible sees people as either having hope or not having hope. But it makes a clear distinction. Not everybody's got a hope. Because there are those who will try and tell us, hey, everybody's got a hope. Okay, everybody has got a relationship with God. Everybody is going to get into heaven. They're called universalists. That is not biblical. Am I clear on that? Some have a hope, some do not. The distinction, we will see what the difference is. But he says, do not sorrow as others having no hope. So the context, the thing he's concerned about is not being, in, not being sorrowful, not being deflated, not being in this place where you're discouraged as if, you know, your champion has not only lost the quarterfinals, but the one behind her has lost and the one behind that has won and, and then decided to retire. And you're like, well, that was just a waste of time. He said, you don't have to feel like it's a waste of time. You don't have to feel like all the air has gone out because there are reasons to remain excited, to remain hopeful, to remain in a place where you are positive about walking with Jesus Christ and continuing to serve Him. Don't be in that place where the wind has gone out because there's no reason for the wind to be out. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is the foundational truth, friends. This is that distinguishing mark. This is the thing we say some have hope, some do not have hope. The distinction is those who, ha who are in Christ and those who are not. May I say it again? The Bible speaks clearly that Jesus Christ is the only remedy that God has put forth for the problem of sin and death, which we all uh, experience, and we were all born into it. And so there's the distinction. Is it not interesting? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, foundational truth to everything we proclaim, to everything we have to say. The day that I try and stand up here before you and proclaim from this pulpit that there's something other than Jesus Christ upon which to place our hope, you mob me and carry me off because something's gone wrong here. And I give you that permission right now. There is no other place where hope can be known 
for people, all of mankind, who are in darkness and broken because of sin. A foundational truth. I, it, this hit me in reading this because last couple of weeks have been just a, just a little bit full in terms of my schedule. And you will recall just a short time ago, we had the Lord's table. Some of you were here, right? Remember, it wasn't that long ago, a couple weeks, had the Lord's table. In the course of that next week, I had a funeral. And the following Sunday, had the privilege to follow up on a baptism for Keeley and Crystal right after, the, right after the church service. From Sunday to Sunday, Lord's table, funeral, baptism. And in reading these verses, I thought, huh, isn't that interesting? What's the common thing in all three of those? Lord's table, funeral, baptism. What's this common thing? Hope, yep. Hope based on what? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thought in three different places that we considered significant. We shared the Lord's table. We, we, we ministered to a family who lost a loved one. We ministered to young people who want to continue to walk with Jesus. What's the common denominator in all of that? We have one message. We have one thing to proclaim. Jesus Christ died, buried, raised again the third day for the justification of sinners. That's all we got. And we come across that time and time again. You know, the Islamic militants... They have said that uh, when they get an opportunity and they get here, they're coming for the people of the cross. And I thought, but that's, that's all we are. That's all we got. That's all we proclaim. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote. It just keeps coming up again and again and again, that however it is and whatever we're doing, it all goes back to foundation in the cross. If we believe this... So God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Some people actually translate this because of what's called the voice. They actually translated those who have been put to rest by Jesus. That's how, that's how gentle the concept is. In terms of what we experience as death here that seems so, so, uh, such an incredible loss to us. But it's not to those who have a hope. They've been put to rest. The rest of the body. If you take a look, and, and, this, and we're not getting into this discussion, but friends, the rest of, of the rest that the body takes in death. I fully believe, just from simply taking the Scriptures at face value, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that the immaterial part of man immediately goes, who has a hope, is in the presence of Jesus Christ. And awaits what Paul is writing about here. Okay, just, it's not that we have something some have called soul sleep or something like that. I do not believe that is biblical. Okay, it is we are present and aware of who Jesus Christ is. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we're talking end times issues now, will be will by no means precede or go before those who are asleep those who have already, as we would call it, died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
he sets forth this magnificent moment when Jesus Christ is going to come for his own and he is going to call them to himself. He's going to, the, 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 the Greek there is this catching away. It's what we have ultimately come to. Those of us who've been in this for a while, we got the lingo down, Pat. You know it's called the? You know it's called the? Rapture. Thank you. All right, there we go. I, you all have heard that. How many of you have heard the term rapture before? How many of you, uh, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you, now keep your hands up, if you were just a little too afraid to say that? Okay, there you are. All right, at least you're honest. Thank you. We're at least honest, because I think and I know you've heard of this before, this catching away. And will you notice that there's a very specific order to this catching away? It says, we say to you by the word of the Lord. By the way, I, I need to pick that phrase up. By the word of the Lord. This is a revelation that Paul has received. He's claiming apostolic authority for this statement, as opposed to those in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 who try and claimed an authority and brought untruth into the picture. He's saying, look, at this is what God has revealed. Had he been able to stay in Thessalonica long enough, he could have unfolded this for them. But his time there was brief. And so now he's saying, based upon what God has revealed to him, we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord, till this time when they're caught up. And so what happens? Those for whom we've had the funerals, who have the hope in Jesus Christ, those first will leave the graves. And after those have left the graves, in response to what? It's going to, in response to the Lord descending, the shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, in response to that, the dead rise first, and then the rest of us, we then are taken behind them. So Paul is making it clear, those of you who feel like your loved ones, you don't know what to make of where they've been, you don't know what to make of the fact that they've fallen asleep, have they missed some blessing that God has? Is there something that uh, has, you know, you go, well, what do we do now? They weren't supposed to die because... Within this first generation and every generation since, we've been told to await, to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Well, what happens with those who have died before Christ came? What happens with this? And Paul is explaining, there's no problem. They've been sleeping in terms of how we would view the body being separated from the immaterial part of man. That body's been sleeping. It will be reunited and the rest of us then will follow alive. We will follow alive. We will just be taken at that moment. It's clear what the Scripture is teaching. And we call this the rapture. Now, of course, all of us, we want to know, when does this happen? That's just something in the heart of man that wants to be able to have this information and say specifically this, 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 or this. All right? There's uh, quite a bit of people out there right now who are... Um, who are making, in fact, two days, September 15th on to the end of December, as it's going to be a very significant time eschatologically. I don't know for sure. I don't know. I think there's one guy, at least at least, he is taking it from, from a biblical perspective. And so I'm interested to watch this guy's perspective. One guy by the name of uh, Jonathan Kahn who is at least using Scripture, and he's lining up the events of the first time when Christ came in his, uh, his first, first, first earthly ministry and with the 
some of the uh, festivals, the spring festivals of Israel. And the second time he anticipates will line up with fall festivals. At least there's a biblical perspective that he's putting there. Some others have some things out there that I find myself going, I'm not sure that's grounded in the scriptures. By that, I'm not saying Jonathan Kahn has that absolute insight. I'm saying I at least appreciate the fact that he is doing that and he's basing it upon, upon the study of Scripture. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see, won't it? If he's right, friends, i got to tell you, you got two days. you got two days if Jonathan Kahn is right. Okay? Only a couple days to make sure that the blessed hope that is all of those in Christ that we need to, we need to be aware of. All right? So... There are these different things. And one of the things, just so you're aware, one of the things that, that guys who study this stuff, and I can show you this person says this and this person says this. All right. So is what's the trumpet of God? What is that trumpet called? Because trumpets were used so uh, in so many ways throughout the Old Testament, and they're referenced in so many ways, and they're referenced in Revelation, that is there something we can identify that trumpet with a particular trumpet that we see somewhere Old Testament, book of Revelation, somewhere. And everybody's got their theories on that. So what I want us to make clear that we take without question is the specific order. He's making it very clear. Christ is going to come, the dead will rise, and then those who remain will follow. That is, and and then will forever be with the Lord. All right, And we're going to look at more what happens during that time frame because we don't have time to develop that right now. In this series on eras and events, we can only cover so much at a given time. All right, But a specific order. Uh, we do things we know. Some things just have to unfold in a specific order. If you're going to build a house, right, you're going to build a house. You put up the structure. You go, hey, that's really good. I wonder what it'll look like finished. You don't put the aluminum siding on right away. What do you do? First, you got to put some sheeting on. You got to put some insulation in. You got to put some Tyvek or something around it. And eventually, you get to the aluminum side. You don't put it on first, right? There's an order. There is an order that we are being given here. And uh, he is trying to make that clear to those who have an order. Now, what I'd like to do is hopefully this. There we are. Okay, you will recall last week, we deter- what we noticed was purely on the amount of chapters given over in the Bible that they, the greatest amount, deal with either Israel or the church. And then prior to Israel, there were 11 chapters in the book of Genesis up until we got to chapter 12 with Abraham. And after the church is gone, somewhere in the book of Revelation, we get a sense as to that's the rest that's written specifically for the end times. Within each of these, there are passages that deal with what's going to happen in the end times. We're looking at one. But the greatest volume of Scripture is either written to Israel or to the church. And there was that distinguishing event between the two of them. And that was what? That was the coming of Jesus. So we saw that last week. And we just looked at that very simple. And what we said was, we're here. We're this little star right here. Just like when you're in the mall and you're trying to figure out where you are and you look for that star that says you are here. That's us. We're somewhere near the end of the church age. And every day we're one day closer to these events unfolding, coming on the scene, and the world is not going to know what hit it. Okay? That's what we saw last week. You are here presently. This week what we want to see is we still have Israel 
Jesus came. We have the church age. But right here is what we're referring to as the rapture. The church is going to be taken off of the earth at that time. That is going to bring an end to the church age. And you will be here. Because it says clearly in this passage, those who have gone first will rise first. Those who remain will follow and we will be caught up to meet with the Lord and be with him forever. This is the next major event as we look at eras and events. Interesting fact. Oh, that's kind of intriguing if you're hearing it for the first time. Well, that's kind of new. That's something worth considering. But it's more than a fact. Paul wrote about this for a specific reason. Because having laid that out, what did he then say? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Friends, we need to understand clearly that as we move into this time frame, which is going to introduce unbelievable things happening on the earth after that, we need to understand, first of all, that God has said His church will not go through all of these things. When His wrath is poured on the earth, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, you've not been appointed to wrath. We are not going to experience these horrific things that are going to be on the earth once the church has been taken up. But, and here's what I think we need to understand, friend. We don't know exactly when that's going to be, but we are watching, I fully believe, we're watching it within our culture at least, if not in a broader area on the earth, we're watching more and more animosity being brought to the message of Jesus Christ. And we here in America are, we just better be ready, is all I'm saying. Our message will not be well received. We are going to be made to look like complete idiots. We're not, but we'll be made to look that way. We'll be made to look narrow-minded. We will be made to look as if we are... Um, What's the word everybody wants to be? They want to be tolerant, and we're going to be intolerant. Because, friends, we're still going to say Jesus Christ is our only hope if we really understand that. We're not going to proclaim there's 50 ways to God. My point being, without knowing exactly when that's going to happen and with the pressure mounting against it, we need to understand clearly the hope that God has for us that we might sustain in the days ahead. That we might say, no, I'm not caving in. I'm not giving in. I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I know that Jesus Christ is coming back. I know I'm going with him. I'm either going with him from the grave if he's allowed me to, if he's put me to rest, shall we say, before that, or I'm going with them straight from earth as I happen to be that blessed generation that is going to experience that magnificent moment. But I know where I will be. And because of that, I'm not going to get discouraged. I am not going to get deflated. I'm not letting the hope go out of this thing. I'm going to remain focused. I'm going to remain trusting. I'm going to remain excited. 
I'm going to continue to consider the fact that, guess what? God calls us as a body of believers to be engaged in making his message known to the area around us and to the othermost parts of the world. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. And he calls us to that in this little place. And we're going to be faithful to that. That's what the ministry fair is about. Come and visit for a while with your brothers and sisters and look at things you haven't seen yet and talk to others and think about where you might be involved because this is our magnificent privilege. And some of it we just minister to those immediately around us. And sometimes God calls out of our midst somebody to go to Nepal or to go to Mexico. Carries the same message every time. Doesn't change. It doesn't change whether it's, whether it's the Lord's table, whether it's a funeral, whether it's a baptism, or whether it's a missionary heading out to the field. The message does not change, and that message is the only place where there's hope, friends. It's the only place. And so we're not going to quit because we know where we're headed. We know the day is coming when Jesus Christ will return. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And we're going to be the first to bow and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. May I encourage you, friends? This magnificent hope is for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God's only remedy. It is acquired. It is acquired by acknowledging that each of us individually, as the Bible declares, we have a problem of sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've got to acknowledge that. We confess that. And we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only hope that God has provided. And we receive him. We say, Lord, I'm hopelessly lost. I got nothing. Sin has separated me from you, Father. And the only hope that I can see could possibly be out there is what you have done for me in Jesus Christ. And I claim him now. I place my faith in him and in nothing else. And then the hope is ours. Because we've got to receive the gift. No gift is ours till we receive it. And he offers it as a gift. I pray that as each day clicks by, and whether these people who see the next few months are absolutely right, or whether Jesus doesn't return for another hundred years, nonetheless, I pray that each one of us individually right here, hearing this message right now, will not tarry any longer in resisting, letting God do that redeeming work when we say, Lord, I need you. Be my Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the magnificent hope that is ours. We take comfort in this. We take comfort, Father, not only to know that such things as we will see our loved ones again who have gone on before us in the hope of Jesus Christ, not only to know that they are already present with you, Father, we take comfort to know that as we look at the days ahead, just as the people in the, in the New Testament lived sacrificially and difficult lives for the sake of the kingdom, Lord, that you may call us to that before you come. We may feel some of those pressures of, of those early birth pangs, as, as Scripture speaks about, Father. Uh, as, you, as you allow us to go through that, Father, strengthen our resolve that Jesus Christ alone is our hope, that he will come for us one day, and we will not turn away from this message, Lord. Thank you. For anyone here who does not yet know Christ, I pray this will be the day when they say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life as my Savior. Work with us, Father. We need it desperately. In Jesus' name.